0: Father, we're so blessed to have the time to praise you with music this morning. We're blessed to have the the time to to love on these kids. We pray that you be with their teachers and that they learn what the love of Jesus means as they see it lived out through uh, what these volunteers are going to teach them this morning. We pray for our time. Lord, we come and do a lot of things in our gathering time. Because we know church is not really just a time or just a place or just an event, it is the people of God coming to worship you. And so we come this morning, Lord, now to worship you in your word. We come, we we come, we beg to hear from you, to show us your perspectives of how life should be. Encourage us, convict us, change our hearts. Your word is the only thing that will ever do that. And this is why we have come, and now we are ready. We thank you, Jesus, for your word. His name, we pray, Amen. We're walking through this study of Ecclesiastes. We call it a life well lived. It's kind of like an autobiographical uh, attempt from Solomon to describe his life and what he found within it. The life of Solomon. He calls himself the preacher. He narrates narrates for us several things as he walks through his life. Remember, we've so far we've talked about this crisis of understanding life. ...from a biblical worldview. Now, all of you this morning, I know, have a worldview. It's how you look at life, how you look at the things at life... ...and you say, okay, this is how this makes sense to me. This is how I understand and process what's happening in the world around me. We all have a worldview. The question that I have, the question that Solomon has... ...actually, the question that God asks is... ...is your worldview based in biblical thought? That's what we're going to examine this morning... is is the continuing aspect of a Christian, a biblical worldview. And what Solomon has told us is that sometimes we have a crisis with that, right? Sometimes we see what God's doing, we see what's happening around the world and people's lives, and we have to come to grips with what it is God is really doing. We know that there's a crisis there sometimes, we don't understand. But Solomon said, you know what, there's comfort in understanding that God is sovereign that God really is in charge, he really does have a plan, he really is going to take the things of your life and use them for good, that's a New Testament promise, by the way, and for his glory. The caution that we looked at last week is that sometimes we look at life and it's odd and we don't understand it and we can get bitter towards God, can't we? Sometimes we get bitter about the things that happen in our life and in others' lives. Sometimes we try to use God, making deals with God, and we found out Solomon said, don't do that because you'll just end up being more bitter. Now, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to examine passages in chapter 6 and chapter 7 and looking at some corrections in our perspectives. I think Solomon has got some corrections for us to examine. Specifically, our worldview and our perspectives on money, wealth. I get the uh, privilege of preaching about money today. And next week, looking at hardships. Because money, Solomon says, isn't necessarily all that good. And hardships, he says, isn't necessarily all that bad. So kind of reorient our understanding of that. What is the modern Christian perspective on wealth and prosperity? If I was to ask that question, I might get a bunch of different answers. But I guarantee you, if you watch what's happening on Sunday morning TV, the TV preachers are telling you health and prosperity is God's plan for your life. True? That's what they they preach. What does God really have to say about the prosperity gospel? I think we're going to find out that this morning. If anyone should know, it would be Solomon, right? Richest guy in the planet at that time. Maybe one of the richest who ever lived. He knows about the prosperity gospel. And here's the thing. When we see the, maybe the not-so-righteous person, the not-so-church-going group, the not-so, uh, maybe he's downright wicked people. They're making tons of money. They're enjoying life. they got everything they want. What is our Christian response? Do we think that is unfair? Are we maybe envious? Do we maybe ask God to bless our lives like that? Should we desire to be healthy and wealthy as the prosperity gospel would ask? It's a hard question, isn't it? Especially in this time, in this part of the country. What is God's perspective on wealth and money and prosperity. We're going to look at that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Some of this will be on the screen, but not all of it. The key verses, I think, will be. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And we're going to find that there's a, there's a problem with wealth that is going to talk about. There's a problem with having money. He says there's a problem with it, and then he's going to continue and say, but there are some good things of it. Here's the good uses of it. And finally, he's going to give us a conclusion about just what do we we consider about money in, in this life in general. So first, the problem with wealth. Here's what he says. Money doesn't satisfy. Listen to verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor is he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. Of course, we see that word over and over again. We know vanity doesn't profit us. There's no advantage to it. It doesn't really increase our overall uh, quality of our our lives internally. There's no advantage that we can take with us into the next life. He says money doesn't satisfy. Money doesn't cure life's worries. Overall, what Solomon says is the more money you have, it doesn't really make you better off as a person. You know, Johnny Carson used to quote the late-night TV host who in the 60s, I think he was making a million dollars an episode. He says, the only good thing about having lots of money is it keeps you from worrying about having lots of money. But that's about it. You see, a man who loves money, a man whose life is defined by the pursuit of things and wealth, is in a catch-22, according to God, because God says it won't satisfy you. It's striving after the wind. It's vanity because he wants something that will never satisfy him. No one ever reaches that magic moment when they say, I got enough, right? Have you ever gone to your boss and said, you know what, just keep the next raise. I got enough. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten to that point and you said, well, I'm making 80 grand a year, and that's good enough for me. Forget it. I'm good to go. No one says that, do they? John D. Rockefeller was asked one time, one of the richest men uh, in the country that we've ever had, he said, "How much?" somebody asked him, how much money does it take to satisfy a man? Rockefeller replied, just a little bit more than he has. (laughs) We know that the Bible speaks of this in the New Testament as well. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, those who want to get rich, those who are thinking about money a lot, fall into temptation, and a snare. Oof. Man, that's not good. And many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Money doesn't satisfy. The next thing he says in verse 11. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage to their owners except to look on? Money actually complicates life. Money actually can complicate your life. And I know there may be some people here who have a lot of money. This message is not uh, directed at you. It's directed at everyone who is uh, a child of God, who walks with God, who needs to understand a biblical perspective towards wealth. Because in the end, what we're going to see is it really doesn't matter, in God's eyes, how much money you have anyway. Our lives should be defined by something else. So money complicates life. And those of you who don't have money, have never had money, say, well, I don't get that. How can that actually complicate my life? Well, if it doesn't change you and money sometimes seems to do that, it will change the people around you. You ever notice how everybody's your buddy when you have a lot of cash? You know those uh, boxing uh, like heavyweights when they finally make it, and they've been heavyweight champion in the world, and then they climb into the ring. Like how many guys climb into the ring with them? Like four or five? I mean, they're just hanging on, right? They're not really there to help. They're just kind of groupies. they're hanging on. That seems to be happening. A lot when you have money. And when you don't have a lot of wealth, when you don't have money, sometimes, most of the time, when someone's your friend, it's generally because of who you are. They like you for who you are. Isn't that nice? That people like you for who you are and not for what you have, what you can give them. So money can complicate your life. Also, it can be a distraction. Look at this in verse 12. The sleep of the working man is pleasant whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Solomon says, you know what? The guy that's working really hard, he gets tired. At the end of the day, he comes home and he eats a meal and he goes to bed and he sleeps really good, ready to get up the next day and do it all over again. Sleeps like a baby. But Solomon says, maybe not so much the rich guy because he worries about how his money is being spent. If he doesn't keep making it, It will somehow be lost to him. Here's the deal. No one wants to make a million dollars, spend $20,000 a year, and put $980,000 in the bank. That doesn't happen. If you make a million dollars, generally, what are you going to do? Spend a million dollars. So what are most folks who live that kind of lifestyle worried about? What's my stock market doing? How are my decisions doing? What's my investment doing? I, I worked for a Christian man who was consumed with what his money was doing. I actually traded for him on the stock market back in the day. That was the worst job. I Don't ever go trade on the stock market for a living, okay? Maybe you some are doing it. I couldn't handle it. It was a terrible job. But he was consumed with his money, and it just ate him alive. He looked over your shoulder all the time. What's my money doing? What's my money doing? What's my money doing? I think Solomon's talking about that. Wealth generally does not give one a peace of mind and a good rest. Not only does it not satisfy, complicate your life, distract your life, it can also weaken you, maybe even hurt you. Look at verse 13. There is a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. You know, back in the day in the 60s, I think it was, there was a singing singing group called the Temptations. Anybody ever heard of them? Temptations, right? Great singing group. One of those doo-wop groups used to hang out on the side of the road with the trash can burning, right, and singing. Somebody discovered them. They went. To, they became Motown. Got famous. Made a lot of money. You know, today only one of those guys is still alive. One shot himself because of alcohol and a broken marriage, both of which came as a result of his wealth. Another used his money to get into drugs. He was found with a bullet through his head after being tossed from a drug dealer's car. Another committed adultery uh, as a result of his lifestyle and destroyed his marriage. Here's the thing. Have you ever considered that maybe, just maybe, one of God's great mercies towards you is that he restricts the amount of money you make? You ever thought about that? Maybe God knows better how you react with money than you do. Solomon illustrates that hurt in verse 14. He says, when those riches, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt, verse 14, when those riches were lost through a bad investment, and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. And as he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return. As he came, he will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. He says, riches don't last. This guy had a ton of money. He had a kid, and now he's lost everything. He can't even support his own kid. This little man in this story lost all the money he depended on. You know, Solomon has a lot of illustrations here, and I think he must have run around around people who had money and went around looking for people who didn't because he has lots of, I think, real-life illustrations of what he saw out in the world. Let me ask you a question. How much money will a rich person leave behind when he dies? All of it. Good answer. Every single dime. You know, the only place in the New Testament where you hear God speak to someone as a fool is in Luke chapter 12. I saw a rich man uh, say to my soul, soul, yet many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, soul. It will be, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? He put all his stock into his possessions. And the rich man loses everything he'd put his faith in. That's why Jesus suggests to us storing up treasures where? Not here, but in heaven. Because they never rust. They never rot. They'll always be there. You do the things that God says are important, and you store those up forever. You know, I'm pretty sure that's why God has not blessed me with a lot of money. And I've been in situations where I can make it, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I've been in the consulting world. I've been in those places where I could have made a lot of money, and somehow it just never worked out that way, and I'm, I think I need to praise God. Maybe you need to praise God. You don't have that situation in your life, because maybe he really does know better. What a blessing that God would keep you from the temptation and the root of much evil, the love of money. So... Solomon says, okay, what is all this about then? Verse 16, this also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? What's it all for then if I'm striving for all this possessions, all this wealth, all this stuff? And then he says another picture of a man. Look at this picture in verse 17. Throughout his life, this man... He also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. You know, we don't talk like that anymore, do we? has great vexation. His spirit is troubled. Great sickness. He's sick inside of himself. Possibly depressed. Possibly anxious. He's sick inside of himself. Look at the picture. He's eating alone. Maybe in his big mansion. All alone, in the dark, with a sick, hard, angry Heart. Angry at who? Who knows? Could be angry at every. Could be angry at God. So there are problems with money. But Solomon says, "You know what? There are some good things with money. Good things with wealth. Let's talk about those." Another perspective. In verse eighteen, he says, "Look, here's what I have seen to be good and fitting." We've seen this before: to eat, drink, and enjoy oneself in all one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him, for this is his reward. Remember, this is the narrative and the the advice from the guy who had so much money he couldn't even count it. You ever think about that? So much money he can't even count it all. And he's saying, here's what you really need to enjoy life. We've seen this advice before, haven't we? Almost every time we look at a problem or an issue in life, he says, you know what? Enjoy the life God has given you. Trust him for your future and enjoy the life that he gives you. Here's what I think Solomon is saying. Don't let what you don't have take away the joy of what you do. Isn't that good? Don't let what you don't have take away the joy of what you do. He says, look, work hard. It's good to work hard, right? We talked about that last week. Work is not a result of the fall. We were always supposed to work hard in the garden for God, for things that last for eternity. Make a good living with the gifts and talents that God has blessed you with. Fall in love. Marry the girl or the guy of your dreams. Do that. Stay with them forever. Love the the wife of your youth. Make sure your home is happy and peaceful. Enjoy life, he says. Go to the ball game. Spend time with your family. Play games. Go to the beach. Go out to the movies. Go catch a good movie. Go get the popcorn. Put all that butter on that popcorn and just die well. (laughs) Verse 19. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches, underline that, God has given riches and wealth, He has also empowered him, underline that, also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. Underline that. This is the gift of God. What a great way to look at life. God never intended for humans to find joy and meaning in life from a pile of cash. Consider Adam and Eve in the garden. There they are in the beginning, before the fall, with God, the three of them hanging out. A strand of three, they say, is not easily broken. Adam had a wife. He had a job. He had a relationship with God. Life is simple. He had enough. That's the picture of life. With somebody, in a relationship, with God, having a fruitful life, fruitful labor. Life is simple. Understand now, he is not saying having money is bad. I want you to get that. Because it says right there, God has given riches. God is the one who, who gives the ability to make wealth. He told the nation of Israel, Deuteronomy 8, when you are a rich, prosperous nation, don't think that it was your labor that caused it. I am the one who gives the ability to make wealth. Deuteronomy 8. God's position is very clear. I give you the talents. I give you the ability. I give you what you need to go make wealth if I have so blessed your life to do so. But he says this, God empowered him to eat for them. God is also the one who provides the ability to enjoy the wealth and see it for what it is. We should see wealth and money not as the goal of our lives, but as a means to do good. As a means to bring enjoyment into the world for ourselves, our family, and for others, for the kingdom. Again, we just sang that song, break my heart for what breaks yours. God gives everything to the ministry. Do you think about that? How many of you would sacrifice your children for the ministry? I wouldn't. I don't think you would either. So the wealth that we have has a meaning beyond being able to spend what we want. It's a means to do good in the world and bring enjoyment. Look in verse 19. He says, he rejoices in his labor. That's the gift of God. So the money doesn't really matter. It's the rejoicing in the labor that matters. Don't collect the money and show it off to everybody. You know, when you're blessed, when God blesses, you take a portion of that. Give it back to the Lord. I don't preach a lot on money in this church. You'll never see me doing a stewardship series in the beginning of the year. I don't really believe that that's the way God moves in his people but When in, When the passage that I'm in says something about money, we're going to talk about it. Because as we all know, money reveals where our hearts are at. You will do with your money... revealing where you think your priorities are. So when we have a blessing from God, whether that's every payday or once in a while or whenever, take a portion and give it to the Lord's work. Why? Because you're helping do good in the world through ministry. Hold the rest of your funds with a loose hand. Use them for good. A lot of good charities, a lot of good things you can do out there. Give money away, Solomon would say. Use it to help out. But also, he would say, use some of it for just pure enjoyment. Go someplace, see something. Don't get to the end of your life and end up with a big closet of clothes that don't fit anymore. Don't do that, he says. Are you enjoying life right now would be my question. Solomon's question would be, are you enjoying life right now? How many of y'all are enjoying life, really are just digging life? Oh, that's good. Are you celebrating the blessing of God in your life materially? You know, Jesus in John 10.10, he says, I came to give life and give it, what's the word? Abundantly. Abundantly. And that doesn't matter what kind of money you have. The abundant life is not determined upon your checkbook. Realize this. The abundant life is to be enjoyed whether you have a little money or a lot. So we've seen the problem from with money from God's perspective, the problem with it, the good use of money from God's perspective, whether we have it or not. And now the final correction. Solomon's going to begin a dissertation here in chapter 6 on why life isn't the way, or end of chapter 5 into chapter 6, why life isn't the way we want it to be. He's going to challenge our expectations about life. Here's the thing. In modern Christian America, we tend to think in terms of material blessing... Um, being a material prosperity from God. And it's always about the increase of self. That's just the way modern Christian America is. We generally tend to think about pray about ask about our stuff for ourselves. It's an affliction actually, I believe, in postmodern Christianity that all preaching and all application it, it simply must come down to what I think and what affects me and what's best for me. And, and sometimes that's true. Sometimes we make an application from Scripture. It's about me and what I think. And it's for, but, you know, sometimes God says, you know what, quit thinking about yourself and think about what I think. Consider what I have to say about who I am and what I think is important in the world. Solomon says, in effect, in these next few verses, sit down, be quiet, and just listen to God for a minute. That's going to be our application today. Sit down, be quiet, let's listen to what God has to say about our lives. Because in chapter 6, Solomon is going to show us that prosperity in general is not always good for us. That is contrary to most preaching and most thought in Christian America today. And he's going to say, nope, having a lot of money isn't always the best thing for you. And then in chapter 7, next week, he's going to say, and you know what? Being afflicted and being in hard times isn't necessarily always the worst thing for you. Boy, we don't want to hear that. So no matter how much money you have or don't have, are you on board with that kind of thinking? That's what Solomon is going to ask this morning. In fact, when you think about it, what are the times of your life that you have been shaped the most? Hard times, isn't it? Boy, when things are going good and we're on that you know uh, roller coaster of life and it's going down, everything's great, we don't, we don't worry about it. But when things are hard, when things are tough, when we're, when we're in pain and we're hurting, we have to rely upon God and we're praying daily just to get through this day and we're just plain sticking it out with God, boy, that's when he changes who you are. That's when he stretches you and builds you. You know, we look at our kids, and we want to give them everything so that they don't have to struggle with the things maybe that we struggled with. But if you never have to struggle for anything, how does that affect people, those kids, ultimately? The Bible says, discipline your child while there is hope. Here's here's a statement that I'm going to make that I didn't do a good job of as a parent. And so I want to confess that before I ask you to, to understand what I'm saying. Don't let your child have everything. Proverbs 20 says, an inheritance gained hurriedly at the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Too much good is often bad. And maybe as parents, and I'm going to stick my hand up here, maybe we make a mistake when we give stuff to our kids for free, because we think the best thing that can ever happen to them, or anyone for that matter, this is Christian thought today, the best thing that can happen to them is the absence of pain or the presence of pleasure. Do you think that? The best thing that can ever happen is the absence of pain. Never go through life without, with pain. That would, let's eliminate pain. And let's always be pleasure. Let's always have enough. Maybe we need parents. Maybe us as parents, we need to love our kids enough to challenge them, set boundaries for them, and let them butt up against those boundaries. Maybe we need to do that. Why? Because that's what God does. God is a parent like this. He loves us enough he will not tolerate the junk in our life. The modern prosperity gospel that says that's always best and hardship is always bad is just plain wrong and Solomon doesn't buy it. Some of us get stuck sometimes in this mindset of, since bad things are happening to me, God doesn't love me. God doesn't. He's got something out for me right now. Solomon's going to challenge this idea later on, and especially this week and next week, uh, saying that bad things sometimes really are for our good. So in chapter 6, he's going to start off with these three illustrations of the vanity and the plight of the prosperous man to challenge our thinking to get us thinking the right way to have a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview about this whole subject. Look in verse 1, chapter 6. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, that's this life here, and it is prevalent among men. An evil. Now we know that Timothy also says in 2 Timothy 6 that sometimes we misquote this. It's not money that's the root of all evil, it's the what? The love of money is the root. ...of all kinds of evil. Solomon says exactly... ...isn't it interesting how the Bible just seems to flow... ...as if one person wrote the whole thing? Maybe one person did. The Holy Spirit. So an illustration of of this evil... ...of this problem that we need to be aware of... ...and he gives us illustrations of three men. Possibly real men. Don't know for sure. But it's a good illustration of people... ...and the use or misuse of their wealth... ...and their life that we need to learn from... And verse 2 is someone I call the Scrooge. He says, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor. what, What everybody in America wants, especially Christians, right? Riches and wealth and honor. If you got that, God's blessing you, is what they would say. And yet Solomon says, he's got all that, so his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet, God has not empowered him to eat from them. He can't eat from his riches from the gold that's stacked up in there. You can bite gold all day long. You're not going to get a whole lot out of it. Most of us would love to have honor and wealth, but this man cannot enjoy it because he doesn't know God. This is vanity and a severe affliction. He can't appreciate it. In verse 3, we have another person. call him the old fertile guy. If a man fathers a 100 children, that's a fertile guy, isn't it? And lives many years. Later on, I'll say thousands of years. but So hypothetical. If a man lives, uh, uh, a father's a 100 children, lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he does not even have a proper burial, then I say, better the miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and goes into obscurity, and its name is covered in obscurity. What an incredible story. This guy lives a long time, fathers a 100 kids. And yet he doesn't know how to enjoy what he has because he doesn't recognize it's from God. He doesn't even get a proper burial because there's no one there to bury him. And God says better that he shouldn't have been born, he should have been miscarried. And then we see in verse 7, the hungry and wise man. It says, all a man's labor is for his mouth... ...and yet the appetite is not satisfied. All his labor is to put put food into his mouth. That's what money is really for in the end. We have to keep working to get money to buy food, to live. That's all it can really do. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? Rhetorical, he has none. What advantage does the poor man have... ...knowing how to walk before the living? Advantage, none. Because they all come to the same place before God. Verse 9. What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. Boy, that's a good statement. And what the eye sees right now, here today, is better, Solomon says, than what your soul is longing for. He says, live today. Money can't buy happiness. Now, it can buy lots of stuff. They can have lots of fun activities, but it's not going to find your happiness. The desire of your soul will not be met. Your life will not despair if you don't have those things that you want that you don't have. You know, if you don't have the summer house up in Big Bear, you're still going to make it, you know? You really are. If you never acquire that 30-foot RV that you desire, you're going to be okay. And if you drive a used car, you can still have a rich and meaningful life despite the despair that is yours. You really can. Solomon says here that the main purpose of money is to get bread to put into your mouth to keep you alive to enjoy what's called life. Let me say that again. The main purpose of money, so Solomon says, is to get bread to put into your mouth to keep you alive so that you can enjoy what's called life. Pretty simple, isn't it? How do we get it so messed up then? Solomon says we should celebrate, enjoy the life for what it is, a precious gift from God. Enjoy life now. What the eyes see right now is better than what the soul desires in the future. Enjoy life now. Call some friends and go get a pizza together. Take a drive out to the desert and sweat a little bit out there and have fun. Go to the library. Hang out all afternoon with a good book. Isn't that kind of cool? Stop on the way home from work. Get a cup of good, strong coffee. Just enjoy life. Here's what he's saying. Don't look at your house. Don't look at your car. Wonder how much better life would be if I had a bigger house or a new car. Now, if you want it and you can afford it, your financial house is in order, you get between you and God, everything's okay. Go build it. Go buy it, but don't think, that a bigger house or a new car will ultimately make your life complete. That's the message. Here's Solomon's summary on wealth from God's perspective, how we should change our worldview. Verse 10, whatever exists, that's you and me mainly, but the whole universe, whatever exists has already been named. Somebody's already looked at it and said, that's what that is. That's Nancy right there. That's Greg. That's Gary. God has named everybody. He knows who we are. And it is known what man is, for he, man, cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. God has created men and women to be satisfied in him alone. He's named us and called us and said, you will never find enjoyment in life apart from me. Do you believe that this morning? You know, the Westminster Catechism, says, the chief end of man, bottom line, when it's all said and done, you all know this, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What's the meaning of life? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. God has already made the call that you and, you and I are made by him and for him and in his image. God created man and named him. In other words, he knows everything about you. He created Adam and Eve to enjoy each other and work in the garden, making something with their hands that lasted forever. He made life to be enjoyed, not to be collected. God will not let us be happy through accumulating things. He won't let us be happy that way. And we can't change that fact about him. It says, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. We can't change that way that God thinks. We can fight, and we can stomp, and we can throw a fit, but it won't make any difference. God made you, and he will make sure you only find enjoyment in him. We can't change that. We don't run the cosmos. You know, there's that uh, that story, maybe you guys have heard it, about a ship in the night, and he sees a light in the distance, and they start, you know how ships flash lights at each other, right? So they could communicate. Back in the days before we had cell phones and everything, they'd Signal signalmen would flash lights at each other. They have a code. And the the light in the distance, there's the guy on the ship. The light in the distance is flashing a signal and says, change your course. And the guy on the ship, he's flashing his light back. He says, no, you change your course. And the guy on the the ship, he flashes back and he says, I am an admiral. And the other light flashing back says, I am a bosun's mate. Now, those of you who know anything about the navy? You know that's not a very prestigious position. And the guy in the ship flashes back. I am a destroyer. And the other light flashes back. I am a lighthouse. <laughs> Solomon is saying we can talk back to God all we want, but we're just going to end up getting frustrated. Solomon says in verse eleven, it doesn't give you any advantage to argue with God. We are made in his image. He has determined that life is to know me. Get that, Christians. Life is to know me, regardless of whatever else is going on in your life. You may be going through some tough times right now. and, And you might not even like what you're hearing this morning. It's possible. Maybe you don't want to trust God with your life You don't want to have faith. Maybe you want to have explanations. That's what a lot of people want. They just want explanations. Why, God? Why this? Why that? Why can't I? Why doesn't he? And here in chapter 6, verse 11, here's what God is saying. I am God. Just listen to me. You see, we can't go back to the Garden of Eden. We can't go back and redo everything to our satisfaction. Our only hope is to trust in God and enjoy him. You can philosophize and you can rationalize until you're blue in the face, but God is not going to change for you. This is how life is. Look in verse 12. For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime? Who knows? Who does know what is good for a man during his lifetime? We think we know sometimes, but God is here to say, no, I ultimately know what is good for you. especially when it comes to money and possessions and stuff. Do we trust God alone and not our resources? Do we? And if God would tell us those things, if he laid out the grand plan for our life to explain how we're going to do this and that, to include wealth and money and jobs and all, if he was to lay it all out for us and explain, this is what's going to happen because this is what's going to result over here, and this means this over here to this person, and because of that, you're going to talk to this person. Would we even comprehend what he's talking about? You know, little old us who can't even program a smartphone. Right? Very difficult to program these smartphones today. Used to be a VCR. You couldn't even figure out how to program your VCR. But I'm going to understand the ultimate meaning of life in God and purpose and what's going on. I can't even remember what I had for breakfast two weeks ago. For who can tell a man what will be after him, the verse says. We take nothing with us into the next life, and we can do very little to control how we are remembered by those we leave behind. Because it's not our money, it's not our wealth, it's not our stuff they're going to remember us by. It's a legacy. What values, what morals, what teaching, what impact did I have on my kids, on my brother's, on some the people in my church, what did I do to, to increase their understanding and knowledge of God? That's our legacy. That's what's going to be left behind us. Because I guarantee you, and I've said this before when you die and your grandkids grow up, they are probably not going to go to your gravestone and think about all the things that you said. And at some point, you're not going to be remembered by the ones you left behind. But if you leave in place how to live life under the sun with a good appreciation and understanding of God's role in your life, that carries on forever and ever. That is eternal rewards. That is what Solomon says are true riches. Solomon is being very blunt here. He's very dogmatic in this passage. I think he wants to put us in our place. Here's what he's saying. Here's kind of what we're closing with this morning, this thought here. The only choice that we have in this life, speaking to those of us who follow God, okay? the only choice that we really have in this life, when it comes right down to it, is to be miserable or happy. That's it. He says many words and many uh, thoughts to protest will simply give us more frustration. So how do we look at the gospel? How do we look at the gospel and and, and fix this idea? What can we refer to in our understanding of what God does through the gospel? Here's the deal. God created mankind, Adam and Eve, to know him, enjoy each other, and work in the garden, making something with their hands that would last for eternity. We all know that story. Simple life that glorifies God. But because of sin, which we all own a part of now, by the way, we now work for all that we can selfishly possess, accumulated for our glory that will eventually rot away or be left to someone else when we die. That's the problem that we have with sin in our lives and in the world. So how's God fix that through the gospel? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, it says that if you believe in Jesus and God changes your heart and adopts you and redeems you and restores you, you now have a new life. You're restored to the purpose of God In your life. And we know God and we walk with God throughout all the things of life just like Adam and Eve were walking with God. We can now enjoy and love each other in the same way God loves us. Not in the strife and rebellion and all those bad things that we do today apart from God. And those efforts that we have in this life we can build things that will last for eternity. Something that God uh, will be glorified by. And so we've kind of gone back to the situation in the garden, and Jesus Christ restores that. He redeems the purpose of God in our life. I want you to see that this morning. That's good news. That is the good news. Bill Bright, who was the uh, uh, founder of the Campus Crusade for Life, he was asked this interesting question. He was asked about the one thing, the one observation in his life that he considered most profound in all his 50-plus years of ministry and all the places he had been, and all the people that he had seen, what was the one thought. And without hesitation, here was his answer. There are no happy, godless men, and there are no unhappy, holy ones. Isn't that good? When we're at peace with God, there is a tranquil joy in all of life. And when we're in rebellion, everything's out of Words from Solomon, perspectives from God. Bow your heads this morning, if you will. We'll have a, a prayer here, just a time to reflect and respond. Then I have some things I want to say after, after our prayer. So I want to give you a moment to think about this. If you've been going through or are, are going through hard times right now, stop here this morning, right now. And will you face God and ask him to use what's going on in your life to make you into something from his perspective? You know, C.S. Lewis said, maybe God will teach you to get rid of all your toys and grow up. (laughs) God says that he has made everything and he knows what will ultimately make us happy. He tells us not to be so silly as to think that happiness comes from those toys. You will be happy as long as you are walking with God, not with the toys. If that's where you're at, God says you are sorely Mistaken. So here's what we do. We trust God. We have faith in Him. Enjoy the life He has given us. Take just a moment and think about that. Trust God. Have faith in Him in your life, no matter what your situation, and enjoy the life He has given you. Father, we thank you for the life you have given us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the good news. We thank you that we have hope that you restore our lives, you redeem us, you bring us back into relationship, you give us purpose. The things that we do in relationship with each other and you now have meaning, and if we could just wrap our heads around that more than what's going on in this world, oh, our lives would be so much better. So we thank you for this message from Solomon, as hard as it is, because we know that you love us, and you know this is the best way for us to grow into who you want us to be. In Jesus' name.